Synchronized is sponsored by the Production Music Association, the leading advocate and voice of the production music community. Become a member and help us to fulfill our mission. Go to pmamusic.com and click on membership for more info and to sign up. And here we are, another episode of Synchronized and... Simon is here again. Hi, Simon. Nice to Hi, see you. Hi, Ferry. How are you? Yeah, very good. Yeah, thanks. I'm fine. Doing great. Looking forward to talking to our next guests. We've got two guests uh, this time. Um, we've got Kelly Sumner here and Simon Gogoli, and they're from Sonic Data, which is a company, I have to explain, I think um, I'm correct in saying it's watermarking version 2.0. It's That's not correct. the watermarking that you know, but it's the watermarking that you want to know. <laughs> correct. So um, what we are going to do is hopefully you can give us a brief uh, description of what you've done in the past, Kelly and Simon, mm -hmm. and what you're doing right now with Sonic Data. Can I start with Kelly? Yeah, thanks very much, Ferry and Simon, for inviting us uh, today. Uh, my background has been uh, in electronics and uh, software um, since 1979, and I won't tell you everyone I work for, but just very briefly, I worked for Commodore, who were famous for home computers. I was one of the founding directors of a company called Take-Two, that you will know as the people that brought you Grand Theft Auto, and I was the CEO of that company in New York. I was then the CEO of the company called Red Octane, who brought you uh, Red o oh, Guitar Hero. Um, so, and now I uh, work with uh, startups and invest in startups and I've been working with uh, Sonic Data for about two years now. So your background is mainly technology, is that correct? It's, it's all technology, yes, absolutely. Great. And Simon? Hi, yes, thanks Thanks for inviting us. Uh, I, I'm um, a music producer, essentially. I, I've worked in music uh, for getting on for nearly 40 years, started off as a musician in bands, touring and that, and the like. Then I became a studio engineer and uh, grew up in a studio called Mayfair in London, um, working with lots of big artists, I went freelance in the 90s and had various hit records, mainly as a, as a mixing engineer, um, working with artists like... Uh, New Order, uh, U2, uh, Gwen Stefani, more recently Paloma Faith. And also in the last few years I branched out into working in film uh, with Danny Boyle. And I've also become a university lecturer over the last five years or so, kind of trying to pass on my limited knowledge <laughs> <laughs> to, to, the to the next generation. And... Um, yeah, I've sort of achieved various platinum records over the years and, and in 2006 won a, a Grammy for working with you 2 Great. Um, so my connection to Sonic Data is that uh, along with one of our other partners, Stuart, we came up with the idea for... Sort of, we didn't really know much about watermarking, but we came up with the idea of wanting to put information into audio that couldn't be lost, could be traced and couldn't be removed by copying. Uh, so that idea happened about eight years ago. We, been, I've been working on it ever since, and gradually developed this system for doing it, which uh, we've we've got more people on board, and, and Kelly has helped us to sort of take it to the next level over the last couple of years. Okay, but what I find intriguing is because I mean, I, 
I had contact in, I think it was the late 90s, with Philips Research, Fraunhofer Institute. They were developing watermarking technologies back then, mm -hmm. but that didn't really take off because one of the major uh, things that people didn't like or thought wasn't um, handy is that it was difficult to track your back catalog. So that's when fingerprinting uh, mm -hmm. came into play. Mm -hmm. um, can you guys say anything about the differences between fingerprinting and watermarking, Kelly? Yeah, um, basically fingerprinting is you know, comparing sounds, um, so you're comparing and so and you don't have to um, you don't have to uh, be able to, you can do it at any stage um, and, it's, and it's very easy to, to implement fingerprinting um, but uh, fingerprinting you know, it does have issues. It's a very, in some areas it's absolutely wonderful, in some areas it's, it's, it's not so great. And the same with watermarking. Uh, the, watermarking is actually, what we, what we do is we run a, a, a code, a harmonic code through the, through the sounds. Um, so we don't have to compare sounds, we just have to pick up the code that we've put in. So it, and we, and the way that we do it is that we, we can basically, we've got so many variable codes that we can encode every single edit or even every single stream that happens in the world today. And so we don't, any, we don't get false positives. Uh, we can play uh, to uh, detect music on top of music, which, which fingerprinting can't do. But to be fair, uh, the best resolve is those two combination of those two technologies, <coughs> sorry, together. Because we encode, um, we can encode at my, so we can code at any level. But even if we do, there's still going to be a residue of of tracks out there that we we can't get to. We haven't been because they're floating around the system, the system somewhere. Um, so we, we 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 what we our company is about is actually combining as much technology together to give the best results you can possibly get. So Kelly, just sorry, Simon, just just quick question: Does it take the whole track to identify it, or can you just no, place oh, two seconds of good, the track or something? That's a really good uh, question, actually. Um, no, uh, we will on the eleven digit, which is our standard free of, free of charge uh, piece of uh, encoding. Uh, you can uh, detect any track within uh, hundred percent of the time within five seconds. Right, and even and we encode keep on encoding the track. So if it's a one minute track or even a feature film, for instance, or that, you know, we will encode, encode, encode. And if you cut at any stage, so long as we have like five seconds of audio, six seconds of audio, uh, we will be able to uh, pick up uh, where that came from. And if the audio is covered in sound effects and dialogue, is that an inhibitor? Yeah, that's or? not a problem. That's okay. not a problem because, yeah. um, uh, in fact, you know, on our, uh, one of the demos that we do uh, to uh, people in the industry is uh, Simon created a wonderful thing called Sonic Radio, <laughs> which uh, which has music on top of music and talkovers, etc. Uh, and it, uh, you can pick up the Sonic code perfectly well every single time. Uh, and that kind of just demonstrates one of the issues with fingerprinting and one of the benefits of watermarking. What makes your technology different from the watermarking that already existed? Uh, it could be... Shall I? Yeah, you can. I just, I'm just trying to save your voice because I know you're not feeling very. Oh no, <laughs> no, I'm, I, I'm okay. Uh, uh, just, yeah. So where, where fingerprinting is basically recognizing patterns, if you like. 
Um, you know, every particular piece of audio has got a pattern and fingerprinting just relates that back to a database. So, um, which is fine because you can recognize all back catalog, but as long as you have a record of it, as long as you have a database of all those original files to match to, yeah. then fingerprinting will work. Watermarking, you don't need to have that. All you need to have is the audio file with, the, with your watermark in it for the watermark to be recognized. Um, so one of the big issues that we found with on researching other types of watermarking was that one of the key problems with older watermarking was that you could hear it effectively. You know, either there were some kind of artifacts that didn't sound uh, as if they were part of the original audio, mm -hmm. or the watermark was placed outside of the human hearing range. So in very, very high frequencies, very low frequencies, something like that. Um, and that could be easily removed by uh, changing the format, like using lossy compression like MP3, or by using audio filters, just filtering out frequencies where, where those watermarks lived. So they were quite easy to get rid of. Or they made the audio sound not as nice as it should. So we get, uh, I, when I was developing it, we came very much at it from the point of view of making it what I called harmonically sympathetic to the original audio. So what we add is very much related to the original sound mm. so that it sounds like it's part of the original audio. You know, it it's, makes it practically unnoticeable because you, your ear just kind of thinks that it's part of the original sound because it's, it's generated from the original audio. Um, so, so that makes it, from my point of view, the whole idea was to make it as pretty much invisible, inaudible, should we say. So uh, that was the way I approached it. Well, it's like, well, if we make it, it's a bit like adding something to a picture. If you add a different color, it's going to be very noticeable. But if you use the same color, then you won't notice it. So Simon, can you and notice that's, it? That's... No. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I can't actually. <laughs> well, it's ex it's extremely difficult to, even if you're A-being with the original file. I mean, if you put a group of guys it, like yourself, Simon, in a room of top, <coughs> top engineers and producers, would and you sort of went round the room, would it, would some of them say, oh, I can definitely hear it, or, or not? Um, I, I, I have tried doing that. Yeah. I've got a very good friend who's a top mastering engineer. Yeah. Uh, he won't mind me mentioning his name, Nigel Palmer, because he's endorsed us. And um, I spent a day with him in his mastering studio uh, encoding files that he would find as many different files he could find to give to me, which I'd encode. Yeah. Then we'd do A-B listening tests with them. And even under those circumstances in a high-quality mastering studio, he struggled to tell the difference. And if you play them backwards or very speed, does that mess up the code or do you still get the code? Um, well, as long as we know that it's being played backwards, <laughs> we could uh, decode it. It, it um, we can cope with a certain amount of speed change, yeah, and pitch change because obviously, if you change the pitch of the audio, then the pitch of the the sonic key gets changed as well. So it's still relevant. It's still relative to each other. So, sorry, I'm pushing on this, but so with people sampling, would that help people identify samples within a track? If they've got, if they're coded, or 
Is that an area that's of interest to yeah. you guys? It, it certainly has been mentioned by some of the, the people we've been talking to. Um, more with a view to not so much sampling, because I think I think most people who sample for use in records these days tend to uh, give credit now. There's been so much litigation around sampling that very few take, people try, they, they to, don't take the try, try, to, try to get away with it now. But, but yes, we could do that as long as the sample is... Like, like Kelly mentioned, five seconds long. Yeah. E- even actually, if it was less than that, we would still be able to tell if there was, say, half of a of a sonic key there. Yeah. We would at least know that it was a piece that had been encoded and had been manipulated in some way. I think um, one thing we sorry, Kelly. Just to, I was going to say on the just on the five seconds. Sorry, Simon. No, no, um, go ahead. That, that was on the eleven digit. We call it eleven digit code. Yeah. That was on the eleven digit code. We can actually have any length of code from about six up to whatever you like. And the smaller the code, the quicker you can pick it up. So with a six digit code, you could pick it up something like two and a half seconds. Um, But when we first announced it, we said 11 digit is going to be free of charge. um, Because quite frankly, we didn't have a six digit code at that stage. Um, and uh, but we can so for commercials particularly for radio commercials, TV commercials picking something up which there's a massive amount of um, uh, um, kind of non the ability not to pick them up it, I mean some people talk about like 90% of commercials aren't actually picked up from, from, from a royalty perspective they could all be using a, um, a six digit code and, and be able to be picked up in about two and a half seconds yeah well, Simon, I was just going to say that uh, in regard to commercial music, I think you're right. Samples have been sort of really well, you know, it's, people are on top of that. In production music, we've established over the course of this podcast, it's a different story. Uh, there's a lot of sampling going on that isn't uh, legitimate, and it really is a different story. So, I mean, that's why I was interested because that's our area. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's a dangerous area for, for some composers and producers. Sure, and that was, you know, one of the areas I was coming at from the with the original invention was yeah. <coughs> uh, from personal experience as a, a producer and being involved with performance royalties and and writing royalties because I'd written on some of the tracks that I work on and you know having not received appropriate royalties many times before I thought <laughs> you know there's got to be a way of of. Uh, having better control of this, having better information. And so one of the, the key advantages of what we do is is simply data, you know, is one of the reasons why I guess why we called it Sonic Data is we can pick up information from all around the world about where every encoded piece is being used. Because what was the original idea behind Sonic Data? Was it to track music so royalties could be paid out correctly? Was that the original idea? The very original idea was sort of back at the time when piracy was still a bit of an issue. So uh, that was where we were coming from. But it's expanded into something much, much bigger than that now. Um, obviously, piracy still exists, but um, and probably always will to a degree. But once we realised that it could be used to, for royalty tracking and more accurate tracking of that sort of thing, monitoring... Um, we realised it could have many, many other uses as well, um, because it's not limited to music. It can be, it can be used in any type of audio. So there's various other 
potential uses. The more so, you think about it, the more you can think of. Yeah, yeah. What's in the code, Kelly? Is it is it writer information, publisher information, or is it just no, a unique code? No, it, it's literally a code. Um, right. so it what, links back what, to a database. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what we, we kind of uh, say, we're the bridge between the metadata and, and the actual play. So we can pick up the play and we bridge it to the metadata. So if you, if you take, for instance, like PRS, which is the UK Performing Rights Organization, they will know, or they should know, all the metadata behind all their members' plays. And so we can track, or they could, we can provide, we can give them the technology to track uh, every radio station in the world, and wherever it's played, as soon as it's played, it says, "Ah, that's a PRS track," and we can pass it instantaneously to perform PRS, so they can then link that to Gary Newman or whoever it may be, and, and that Gary Newman will get paid for that play in Uruguay, Paraguay. America or wherever. Um, so that what that does is there's a couple of things that that does. It takes out all the kind of it takes out the issues on the confusion around metadata because you know PRS may may know their members' metadata, but once it starts going into other performing rights organisations, things get messed up, things get misplaced or, or changed around, and then obviously it can't go back to the original uh, uh, artists. Um, and with this, it, it, it should be, you know, we have a single variation of the truth, and, and that is, that belongs to that artist, and every time it's played, it, that information goes back to their performing rights organisation. Um, and what that also does is it does it very, very quickly, and I say instantaneously, I mean, obviously, it's got to go up to the cloud and back down again, but, you know, this time, the situation where people are waiting six months or a year or even longer to get paid, really, we should, you know, the technology like this should get away from that situation because, they, they, they you know, PRS will know that day that the, uh, the, the radio station in Paraguay or wherever owes them a certain amount of money for that play. Right. But so, does that mean... Sorry, Simon. No, go ahead. Does, does that mean that you need the cooperation of the PROs, or is it also possible that publishers or production music labels, um, like Simon and I, we have production music labels, mm. could we do business with you directly? Yeah, I, I don't. I, well, I think this. I think this is going to shake up the performing rights organisation uh, um, landscape. Um, but from a one of the things that you know, the opportunities from a commercialisation is that. You know, we can, you know, we can give the technology. I say give the technology. You can provide, probably at a fee, the technology to people. So you could imagine someone like, say, Unilever, who have commercials playing all around the world. They can monitor it themselves, and they can say exactly where those uh, um, commercials are played. They can not only tell what play, what was played, uh, when it was played, but which commercial played, i.e which version of that commercial played. Because, because we will encode every edit and every stream uh, with a different code, they can say whether it's a 10-second commercial or 20-second commercial or 15-second commercial. So they can provide all that. And all that data is coming into them and obviously will help them in various ways. You know, um, and, that, and we can provide that information to 
labels or artists or whoever they want. I mean, we would, what we would love to be able to say is that the performing rights organisations actually use this technology not only to make sure that everyone got paid uh, fairly and properly, because that is clearly not happening as we, as we speak, but also to provide data to their members on what's happening with their uh, content on a worldwide basis, which will allow them to you know, uh, plan maybe tours better or marketing, etc., etc. So this opens a lot of opportunities for people. And we're, what we are, sorry, Freddie, this, this is a long answer to a short question. I do want to say, what we are, we're, we are a technology company. We, what we've done is we've, we're taking a holistic approach to the tracking and tracing, identifying the sound, playing of sound anywhere in the world. We can provide the technology. We're not telling you how to use that technology, but we can provide that technology for you. Sorry. Simon? <laughs> you had a question? Oh, me? Yeah. So <laughs> there are... Um, it's a problem of having too, too many Simons. Too many Simons. Simon. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there are obviously other companies that do mm. watermarking. Are you, so if I, if, if I have a piece of me that's watermarked by somebody else, can I also apply your watermark? Can you, do they coexist? No. Yes? Sorry, Simon's nodding. Yeah, well, yeah. That, yes, but, but that, I just want to, there's, there's no, there, no one currently, people are using fingerprinting. Yeah. But from a monitoring and a tracking and tracing perspective, we, we don't know of anyone actually using watermarking for that. Because historically, before we came along, it had issues, as, as Simon said. <laughs> Do you like that? Simon said it. Anyway, um, as Simon said, so... Uh, but we could, yeah, there's no reason why they couldn't have two watermarks, but there isn't actually anyone offering what we are offering to the market today. <coughs> yeah, most of the companies that we've spoken to who do use some form of watermarking uh, say have said to us that they wouldn't use use it on commercial releases because the quality is not good enough, right. but they, they use it for the purpose of sort of tracking listening copies or promotional copies that can i just clarify the watermarking that they're using currently not our watermarking oh yeah no, not yeah. our watermarking. <laughs> so yeah. just, that, that 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 was what i meant but you, you said you said it better than me kelly <laughs> so, so kelly yeah. kelly you'll, you'll be aware that uh, the bbc is using starting to use a different platform for their music so they've gone from i like music to sound mouse is sound yeah, mouse a fingerprinting based yeah yeah yes okay yeah i'm right. totally aware of that and and the thing is, I think that decision was probably, uh, they made it, I think, last year or, you know, in 18 months, within the last yeah. period of time. And when they made that decision, to be fair, uh, Simon W., it was the right decision because we weren't there, we didn't have a, a stable platform, and quite frankly, everything that had come before us as far as watermarking was not fit for purpose for the BBC. Right. Um, now we would hope that uh, when that contract's over with Sound Mouse, that they will um, consider all options again, uh, and that will give us an opportunity. Yeah, yeah, I understand. I, I just think it's uh, good at this point to mention that one of the key things about watermarking over fingerprinting 
is that uh, watermarking can um, recognize individual copies of the same file, whereas fingerprinting can only generically recognize a piece of music. Yeah. So there'd be millions of copies of a piece of music out there Fingerprinting would only recognise it as one thing, whereas watermarking you could recognise each individual copy. So there's there's sort of a huge huge difference advantage yeah. there. Yeah, because I, I've spoken to Kelly uh, before, um, and and we were just discussing the possibility that, for example, if you have a download platform, you can add a watermark, which identifies not just the metadata of the track, but also the person who downloaded the track. And of course, you can't do that with fingerprinting. No, you sure. can't. And it, sorry, Simon G. I was also going to say that we, we're, we're looking into another branch of sonic data um, for, for unsigned artists, for example, where uh, they can encode their own tracks with their unique sonic key, and um, then it'll be traceable wherever it goes because it would those tracks would never be recognised by fingerprinting because they aren't on the the fingerprinting companies' databases. So that, that gives, a, I mean, that's it's a good point. I mean, it's um, there will be a very small charge to for unsigned bands because obviously we don't know whether we could even, you know, commercialize it. And when I'm talking about like a one ninety nine euros to encode a track, but that has a, a number of benefits. Uh, one is one of them is that at that time, if there's if someone does rip them off with the music that's been sent out, et cetera. They can refer to this, that an independent company has encoded it, et cetera, et cetera. So that's pretty cool. Also, what we'll be offering is um, them very, very cheap monitoring of radio stations. And when I say very cheap, I'm talking about 9.99 euros for a year for, I think, 10 or 20 radio stations locally, because that's where normally the the radio stations to local to the band is where they're going to be playing, etc., yeah. etc. So it gives them some some sort of confidence. And what we'll also be able to tell them is if that track, whatever track it was, played outside those ten or twenty radio stations, we will we will let them know it's being played. Uh, we won't necessarily. We might charge them another one ninety nine. I don't know, but we, <laughs> because because once we monitor a radio station. We monitor it for everybody. Everything, yeah. So you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter to us whether you know we're picking up one track or we're picking up you know t- ten tracks an hour. It has it has no difference. I just wanted to go back to you know one of the things that you know is kind of important is that we you know we with the eleven digit if you like for one of a better word a harmonic code that we put in. It gives us 18 quadrillion ver- variables, so it gives us a lot of variables, and and that was done because we, you know, we we believe that we can we we know it believe we know we can use this for streaming, um, and what it does is that it doesn't it can't stop stream ripping because you know the tech, those the pirates are quicker than we are, but what it can do is identify if that stream has been ripped, and then it has been cut up and played or. or done something with it, we can actually identify whose stream was ripped. So we can say it was ferry stream and, and this is when it happened. And so you can be cut off from, from that service going forward, potentially. So it, it's not, it's not, it's not, you know, it won't, as I say, it won't stop people ripping it, but it may, it may uh, inhibit some people uh, going forward. 
Yeah, I suppose uh, stream ripping is the modern piracy, and seeing <laughs> as that's where we kind of started with the idea. But yeah, we've kind of we've gone beyond that because we feel that uh, the main thing we really want to do is to uh, to be beneficial towards the creatives mm. who've always been the kind of poor men in the in the chain, whereas they're the ones who provide the content. Yeah, and uh, we feel that that's uh, you know. I, well, personally, from a personal point of view, yep. always felt that, that that needs to be a, a more level playing field. Kelly, you mentioned uh, that you can um, watermark stems, and in production music, you know, the stems are kind of uh, equated with high-end libraries so that mm. an engineer can take a bass stem, a keyboard stem, and a guitar stem mm. and make a remix, essentially, and then cut back to the original thing. So in that instance, will will your will the watermarking be able to identify a, what's going on i mean there are three stems they mixing to six yeah. stems or we, we do we, yeah we don't actually and simon simon's much more technically well i'll come musically aware than i am so he's going to stop me if i if i say the wrong thing but originally when we when we started talking to people we did say that you know yes we can do stems and we can do stems but it, it depends on the type of music it depends on how many stems etc so we don't actually promote it because it, it has a number of variables but if you if you're talking like three stems that that, that you know that shouldn't be an issue if you were talking about 10 stems mm -hmm. that probably would be an issue um yes yeah, so um, and it would it would also depend on you know how they were recombined uh for example if they're recombined at different levels then whichever stem is the loudest would be probably easy to encode and the quiet ones would be more difficult so yeah we we don't want to kind of make claims for things no. where where their manipulation is out of our control if you like yeah but um but yes if you were to use a stem from something and then mix it with something else it would still be uh, be possible to decode the sonic key that was in right. the stem, yeah. even if it was even if it was mixed with some other things. Yeah, I just want to go back for a couple of minutes because we were talking about money, and I mm. think that's uh, an interesting uh, part of the discussion. Mm -hmm. um, we w we are able then to sign up with you for the eleven-digit free sonic keys. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So that means that you will give us the opportunity to embed a sonic key into our music. Yes, indeed. And that, that's, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, that's what we're saying to the music industry. Uh, everything is uh, free to encode. Um, I mean, there are... Sorry, Simon. I was just going to say, is that done at the mastering stage, Kelly? I mean, who do we put it in or do you put it in? We well, put it in. I mean, it would be... Ideal if it was done. In fact, I just came off a, a call with the Music Managers Forum in the UK, and that was, that was one of the questions they asked. And uh, it, it, ideally, you know, going forward, it would be done at master because once it's done at master, it will survive the journey. Um, but if you had a cat back, if you had a catalogue with a digital distributor, uh, uh, you gave us the rights, we could encode it uh, that content with a digital distributor. So you can either encode via our, our, our portal or depending on the you know the company we can provide APIs that, that it can be sitting in within uh, you know on a desktop or whatever uh, in your office and we it can be done there okay so it's 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 very very kind of 
versatile in what it can do. Um, and as I say, I mean, it's very, very quick. I mean, 50,000, I think we said 50,000 tracks in an hour we could encode. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of important to the big guys, but most people will uh, will have everything finished within, uh, <laughs> within a couple <laughs> within of hours. An hour or so. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's, that's free. But yeah. then, of course, um, if I want to keep track of where my music is being used, you need to detect it and report it to me, right? Yes, yes. Okay, so I assume that there are costs involved there. There are costs involved there. That's very true. For <laughs> okay, I just, I just want to know how it works. Yeah, you know, so, I mean, the basics uh, is that it depends on how many stations, for how long, um, and, and, and not uh, how many tracks, actually. We're not going to uh, charge you by tracks. Um, but uh, it's basically how many stations for how long. Um, and and it is, it's, mu I don't want to go into actual details, but it's much, much uh, cheaper than uh, what's available um, uh, via uh, our competitors who use fingerprinting. And one of the reasons is that, you know, our technology is kind of up to the minute and is using all the benefits of technology, whereas fingerprinting is, it, it has been around for some time and it's quite kind of, you know, difficult to process and 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 and, and memory hungry to process. So, uh, but our main, you know, you know, we're we're very happy to provide um, the technology to literally everyone. What we would really like to do is is get the uh, everybody's performing rights organisations to use it, license the technology to them, and then they could provide that as a service to all their members. That would be. An ideal uh, uh, thing for us to do because we don't we can monitor and in fact in in, in there's no uh, there's a press release we're launching um, on Thursday the uh, the third or second or whatever it is uh, uh, we've done a, a promotion with um, AIM uh, where we're encoding all their members uh, content or as much as content as they want to encode and we're also decoding or, or recognizing that content um, for six months on 500 radio stations throughout Europe for, for free, just so they can see that it works and they're happy with it, et cetera, et cetera. Once they've done that, then obviously we can we can talk about what their particular needs are. Uh, so I hope that, that makes sense. It's very Sweetie, interesting. I can understand that you... Sorry, Simon. No, I, I understand yeah. that you uh, think or hope that the performing rights organizations mm -hmm. want to do that, mm -hmm. but that means that they're going to be transparent. <laughs> That's very true. That's going to be really interesting um, because I've got per I've got some views on performing rights organizations, as, as has most of the music industry. Um, I, I think that the, they're living in the old world. Not all of them. Some of them actually are progressive. Uh, and, and some of them we're actually doing trials with. Um, uh, some of them uh, continue to try and ignore uh, what's happening. Uh, and in my opinion is that they don't want to be transparent because I think what's, that transparency would cause them a massive amount of potential litigation issues. Um, uh, but it's a bit like Canute. The tide is coming in and you're not going to be able to ignore it. And we don't need every performing rights organization to tell me that the technology works. We know the technology works. If we get a, a handful of performing rights organizations that test it and say it works, 
it's going to be very difficult for the other 75 to say it doesn't work. Also, I think if a small amount of performance rights organisations uh, use this technology, then members obviously can be a member of any performance rights organisation. They don't have to be. It doesn't have to be in the country they're based in. And I could I could actually see the the, the situation where people will be leaving their performing rights organisations to a performing rights organisation that uses technology that pays them for, for what is played and in a timely manner, unlike what is happening today. Um, I think it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be get very interesting over the next year or two. Uh, with performing rights organizations. I think it's very intriguing because I can give you an example of the Dutch performing rights organization. They use fingerprinting. Mm. So what we do as a publisher, we supply that company with our music so they can make fingerprints of the music and scan what's being aired in the Netherlands. They just mm. do the Netherlands. Mm. Then you expect that as a publisher, you would get access to the data that that <laughs> company is providing, right? Yes, you we would. don't see that data. No, that data don't. goes to the performing rights organization, and then yeah. we have to wait and see what they pay to us. So we have no way of checking whether that what's being detected is being paid. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just it's bizarre. It's bizarre, and what's and what's bizarre is that you and the rest of the music industry get charged three point five billion dollars a year for the benefit of being kept in the in the dark and paid what they pre presume they want to pay you rather than what they should be paying you. 3.5 billion. I mean, that is obscene, quite frankly. I mean, there are people in uh, performing rights organizations who are earning huge amounts of money, uh, and basically there's a lot of artists who aren't, and uh, it's just wrong. Um, but it's not just a performing rights organization. I mean, it's how you cat categorize performing rights organizations. Um, we, like, we, we, could, we say like PRO and a CMO. So PRO uh, would be PRS and a CMO would be PPL. Um, and there's, there's kind of, I think there's issues, slightly different issues, but there's recognition issues with, you know, um, CMOs as well because they're blanket licensing uh, people to the ability to play commercial music within, uh, well, within bars, restaurants or clubs. Uh, and, and that's not, very helpful quite frankly so one of the things that we're using we've got with our technology is we have a box which i'm showing you but obviously people on the podcast well, can't see it, it. No. So i can wave it around as much as i like it's a beautiful black box it's oh, a, i shouldn't say black box it's a beautiful box yeah don't say black box that's <laughs> the wrong <laughs> that's a good idea we'll make it blue charcoal um, yeah so so the the idea is that this box will sit in any commercial president uh, premises it will plug into a socket and it will, uh, through not just watermarking, because you know we want it to work with everything that's been played and uh, immediately, it will work with watermarking, it will work with fingerprinting uh, and uh, other detection technologies and using machine uh, learning actually within the box, within the premises. It will detect it, it will turn that into a binary and shoot that up to the cloud for us. Um, and that box will be powered by the socket. We will be checking that the socket is live, not continually, but every few minutes. If the Wi-Fi goes off, we'll be able, we've got memory within the box to be able to store about 3,000 keys. Now, that's really cool. And it's really cool on a couple of things. It's, what it does is then 
allow user-centric royalty payments for everything that's paid in bars, restaurants, clubs, shopping malls, wherever, and you know that's not happening, and you know you all know that that money is going to the wrong place because it's quite, quite often done by market share, etc., etc. Reference. Yep. Yeah. So the money is not going to the right people, and certainly not going to the people who need it. Um, so that's really good. That data again should be widely available to the artists and to the, the labels, etc. And there's no reason why you can't. That data shouldn't be available. So you you could be able to tell what played when, where, and how. You know, in every city. You know, you could even isolate by city, by by county, by district, or whatever. Uh, I mean, amazing from a from a potentially touring perspective uh, to know where your music is popular. But kind of one of the more and, and the other really important thing is that it will allow the CMOs to be able to charge people on a per use basage, such as any utility, such as gas, electricity, water, or telephone. So you know, if you're playing music seven uh, seven days a week, twenty four hours a day, you will be charged more than someone who's just playing music uh, on a Friday night in a bar or, or whatever. Um, and and that's you know, so that's when you know we've taken this very you know holistic approach to detection uh, recognition um, because you know that is a major issue. And if we if we get that uh, implemented then that's going to change the lives of lots of people, in our, in our opinion. <sighs> Sorry, I've done it again. I, can't, I rambled. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, sorry, we're very passionate about this, actually, <laughs> because do you know something? You know, I mean, Simon, you know, God bless him, came up with the idea, and, and we bought into the, 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 the dream. And the, and the dream is it's not about making loads of money, quite frankly. The dream is actually doing the right thing and this will this will do pretend this type of technology can do a lot of good for an awful lot of people, people. yeah i totally i totally agree because um in the netherlands for example uh, what happens is that bars pay me, uh, money to Buma, the performing rights organization and mm. to sena the neighboring rights organization mm. uh, and for example in in amsterdam bars tend to play a lot of dutch music yeah and all those point. people they don't see a penny. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's I mean, we're, it, it, and it's not just in, in Holland. It's the same in Austria and and, and, and etc. And and you know, in the UK, we'll have uh, people in uh, you know in reggae bars or whatever, and they get absolutely nothing. But certain artists get a lot of money. I just That's want to be I'm the saying. devil's advocate here because I mean, if this system is working, and I know it, I'm pretty sure it's working. It's technology. Yeah. And I trust technology. Yeah. Um, why do we need PROs? Well, that's a good question. Um, I don't think. You, 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 well, you do need PROs. You need you need people um, who, or you need someone to be able to enforce uh, legal issues on on a on a kind of a local basis. Um, you don't actually need to have. I think it's eighty PROs currently. I mean, it's three in America. Um, you don't actually need to have all these PROs, quite frankly, um, and you certainly don't need to. I mean, if someone, I can't, I don't want to name names. Um, there, there are certain multinationals that we would 
be very well happy to to work with and some certain multinationals that wouldn't because they would just bury this technology because they've got uh, a theory of motives for, not, for it not to be successful. But if you had a, a, a huge multinational who had um, not only the infrastructure as far as the cloud, but they also have the infrastructure for payments uh, on a worldwide basis, there is no reason to think that people, you know, uh, artists could not be paid, you know, certainly every month, uh, if not quicker, um, uh, by a, a, a someone doing that. And so it's going to be very interesting. That's why, you know, people in some PROs are very happy to try and put their head in the sand and think that this, this isn't, you know, technology is not going to change things. It is going to change things. And some people are running with it. And the ones that run with it, uh, I think, you know, will we'll go bigger and better frankly, and do the right job for everybody. I'm not, not going to name names either, but I think we should give Jeff Bezos a call. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> um, who's, who's that? He's <laughs> yeah. yeah, a I local mean, singer here in Amsterdam. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, I mean, there are, there are a number of companies. I think the thing is that, you know, um, it, it, it's interesting where this technology, this te we've, we've always thought that the technology was, is a bottom-up rather than a top-down. So, uh, because the, the buy guys in the bottom have got more reason, they because they don't get the information, they don't get paid, they, there's a lot of negativity around uh, artists at the bottom, and I don't mean what, you know, in the pub level, but I mean, you know, professional artists. So, you know, that's why the AIM incentive is really exciting for us, because those are the people who really mean something for. And I think uh, some of the major companies who I won't mention, but we are have been in conversations with them, they're trying to they're trying to literally bury their head and 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 and, and pretend that it won't work and it won't exist because they've got a lot to lose. And and this is just this technology is just another kind of brick in the wall or or, or whatever that this is the music industry is changing. It's changing. It's not just changing with water market. There's lots of areas that's changed, and, and and you know they, they can't just ignore this any, for much longer. I don't think. I, I, I think there's an equivalent here to what happened, you know, 20 years ago, um, with Napster and the major labels, and they sort of ignored digital downloading mm. and sort of kind of pretending it, it didn't happen, and then of course you know, they, they got very severely stung by it and sales went through the floor. And uh, they also didn't really see the see the streaming revolution coming and consequently they're... A lot of major record labels now are more just distributors than anything else. They, they don't really... Uh, you know, one has to start questioning the infrastructure um, when they when it gets exposed like that, because they they're like a um, you know big tanker at sea. They take so long to slow down or change direction that uh, everyone else is somewhere. It's like ten it's, years in the future. It's interesting, and I'm not sure, I'm, I might be slightly wrong my figures, but you know the music industry's revenues really haven't grown in the last twenty years. And I remember when I, you know, being in video games, I remember looking up at the music industry thinking, wow, this is the really cool, this big, 
The games industry is something like four or five times bigger. The games industry is bigger than film and music combined. It's just ridiculous. But they, well, they, you know, there's a number of reasons. But one is that, that you know, they, 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 uh, they welcome technology and you know integrate technology, um, and that hasn't really you know happened in in the music industry at all. They're they're, they're kind of doing the same things again. I mean, it's a, it's like the first sign of madness, you know. You, you keep you do the same thing again and again and again, and think it's going to think it's going to change. Um, and you know what? There's a lot of things that get me kind of hot under the collar about this industry. And 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 you know, one is that you know you've got you've got social media sites out there that without music wouldn't exist. They just wouldn't exist. And we have the opportunity, and I mean we as the music industry, to make sure that they pay fairly and squarely for every single play that's played on the sites that we all know about, okay? Or however the music is consumed. You know, if they, if they integrate, if they said, you know, we, you know, they could put technology as a gateway into it properly, like, you know, for instance, with our technology, we could all be in a, a bar in Benodorm singing along to a radio station, uh, which was had Waterloo from ABBA playing. And then Simon could, could post it onto a social media site because he thought it was a good idea. But does ABBA get the money for that? No, they don't. Okay, but with this type of technology, yes, they could because we would be able to recognise that as ABBA, even though we're bad, Simon's singing badly over it, it's ABBA, and then it's a choice when it comes into that social platform whether to say it can be played or whether they uh, they want a percentage of the the money, um, uh, the marketing money, uh, the advertising money generated around it. But no, they don't do that because what they do is they take a disproportionate amount of money into their own pockets. And I'm talking about major labels here. Okay, they don't. It's not shared. So the social media type people don't take pay enough money, and the money they do pay generally goes to the richest people, and that's just not acceptable in my mind. And I'm probably not making some friends and uh, you know at certain publishing groups, but um, yes, so be it. Well, you just made two. It's Simon and me, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I figured out very, uh, not you know, some time ago that uh, you know you, I'm just going to have to you know take the gloves off at some stage because if you keep on trying to engage with people and they don't even come back, they don't come back to you, and they know what the technology is, technology is, and they just pretty much ignore you for five or six months, even though you're sending an email every two weeks. And they occasionally say, oh, oh we're going to try and put something in the diary, but never do. What do you do? You know, at some stage, you've got to tell people about it. So we will. Good. So, anyway, so sorry. If, 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 get off my soapbox. <laughs> so, guys, look, look ahead. A bit of uh, crystal ball here. Look ahead into the future. For let's say ten years time, uh, five years time, perhaps ten years too far ahead. But let's say five years. What? How yeah. do you see your technology evolving? Where are you when you sit down and kind of imagine the future? What? What? What do you see with your technology? Well, do you want to answer that, Simon? Well, I think about a, a very clever answer. Yes. Okay. Um, well, I think we've kind of 
mapped out where we see it going to a degree in what we've what we've spoken about already because uh, a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about is in development still you know our little uh, blue box that Kelly showed you there yeah. um, for example is is something that's going to take a little while to become a kind of global thing mm. and they'll the the thing that's going to take the time, I suppose, is people getting used to the idea of things being done differently. Um, but like Kelly has said, we're pretty determined on that front. When when we're not just going to kind of say, "Oh, the infrastructure is the way it is," we we can see that we we need to change it. Yeah. No, sir. And and uh, you know, so consequently, I can see a. a a much more level playing field. Uh, it, it depends, for, it's, certain things are dependent on other technologies like blockchain, for example. Um, if, you know, the more the blockchain gets involved with things, I can see blockchain being a little bit of an issue myself. I don't think it's getting as warm a reception from the music community as people were probably expecting it to. Uh, with things like NFTs, I'm sure you've been seeing about what's been going on with that kind of stuff where again they seem to be just benefiting the haves more than the have-nots and also blockchain blockchain technology uses up an awful lot of uh, resources which doesn't go down too well with a sort of uh, sustainability model mm. whereas where we're coming from a place where things are done uh, you know we're deliberately keeping it pretty simple yeah. especially when it comes to the processing side of things because we realise that all of that is expensive and also less efficient. So mm. um, I'm hoping that we'll, people will take our, our technology on board as being the kind of industry standard for recognising audio files and it'll be across uh, not just music but it'll be across films, it'll be across video games. Um, I'm, I'm doing a lot of research at the moment in spatial audio, things like Dolby Atmos and uh, Ambisonics. And so that's that'll be a, probably one of the next steps for us is looking at implementing sonic data in those areas as well. Great. So just to add, I mean, we, you know, we said um, radio and TV today, we're currently working on social and, uh, and venue, which is obviously uh, pubs, clubs, restaurants, etc. Live uh, options, so uh, recognizing um, uh, covers at uh, being played at Glastonbury Festival on the other stage or whatever stage it may may be would be uh, something that we would uh, want to look at. Obviously, it's not a bigger market, but basically, what we're what we're looking to try and do is look at all the holes in the detection of of sound wherever it's played and be able to track and trace that. Um, it's going to, you know, although we have the technology working today, it's going to take some time for it to, you know, to, to roll out and people to accept it, especially the, the you know, the, the major, uh, major companies. But, you know, for instance, this technology is great for Shazam or what will be with Shazam 2 possibly uh, that we could produce. It, it gives us lots and lots of variables. Um, um, so, in five years' time, it would be really nice to have another call and be able to sit down and say, actually, you know something? We've made a real difference. We're not quite, maybe we're not quite there yet, 
but all the all the all the uh, uh, AIM members, for instance, are using it. They're now getting paid properly, etc. Um, and we're providing real data and information that they can make decisions on uh, going forward. Um, and maybe we haven't got that on a worldwide basis in five years' time because the world is a very big place. Um, but we're going we're gonna to give it a go. That's what we're going to do. So in terms of, we talked about transparency, and when you mentioned Shazam, that's, you know, that's a general public um, thing, whereas we're talking up till now about business to business in a way. Do you, mm. from a kind of holistic point of view, do you think everyone has a right to see the data that you produce or just the people, the writers and the publishers? And I mean, Are you interested in putting the data right out there so I can see who's, you know, my competitors work on which program and you know that can it really open the whole thing up <laughs> well allegedly I, there's a couple of answers that allegedly uh, data is the next oil i'm told um but i th obviously what currently the model is um that you you can only see your data and that there's a good reason for that because yeah. uh to see someone else competitors data is uh, you know uh, not so good um the Shazam thing, I was, you know, one of the things that, you know, one of the, one of the labels um, that we're, talk, uh, we're talking to and working with, you know, would really like a, um, a app that works in clubs because so someone can, when they're listening to something in a club, can actually tell if they miss what the DJ says or whatever, they can tell what it is and maybe purchase it or, or bookmark it or, or whatever. And our technology is, is great for doing that because we can encode as the DJ is actually mixing and playing this. Um, so there's a kind of some opportunities around that. Um, uh, but I don't think, if I said to you, I'm going to allow everybody else's data to see your data, I think there's a number of labels that wouldn't want to encode with this. So, well, you know, uh, I can go to PRS in theory and look up cue sheets and see whose music is on any program in theory. In yeah, it will take you some world. time. I uh, know, I'm, I'm aware, and often the most major programs have no cue sheets at all. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, it is not a perfect system. But the, the thrust of it is that we should, we're looking at the data that I should be able to look at, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, and in a way, you know, the whole thrust of the internet is to open things up rather than to close things down isn't it so it's yeah. an ir irresistible force in a way um, yeah i mean yeah, i you... i think that i think it would be it would be unfair to say that it would be good to be able to share certain amount of data about you know what's happening um where when and how whether it be specific to you know a particular label or artist etc that may be a little bit too um you know, confidential for, sure. uh, for us yeah. to be able to do that. But I think sharing data generally is a really good thing for the whole industry, uh, and we're not adverse to it, but we would be adverse to it if, uh, if obviously uh, it stopped uh, the, uh, the proliferation of this technology. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit like banking. I think online banking is great, Simon, but it's also great that I can't see what's in your bank account. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, let's have a look what's in your bank account now. <laughs> but, but, you know, and, and let's see where technology goes. We, we've kind of got a clear understanding of what we need to deliver over the next uh, couple of years. Um, but, you know, go back two or three years and who would have thought about how, how what tick, you know, 
tip, uh, what the influence of TikTok would have been and who's no, who really will know what's going to happen in five years' time because I have got no idea. Well, and Ferry is talking about capitalism 1.0, obviously, there. Capitalism yes. 2.0 might be something very different, Ferry. I mean, for instance, we might all have universal income. Who knows where we're going with that? Capitalism 1.0 is not really working, let's say. I'm, so, I, I'm actually with you, Simon. I'm with you. Are you trying oh. to turn this into a political podcast now, yes, uh, yes, Simon we W? Are. Life is, life is <laughs> politics. You, to... you can't dissociate the two, Ferry. <laughs> you, you want to talk Brexit now? Or, no, uh, no, it's, no, it's no, an hour. It's, it's an really... hour. It's, we're gone. It's, it's over. Yeah. It's the end of the, I, year, uh, the episode. I know, I know you're editing this, so you can cut this out. Well, okay. But no, I, don't, don't no. say because because I want to just close off this this episode oh, okay. if that's okay with you, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and because we we've hit the hour mark. Okay. It was great having you guys uh, yeah. as our guests. Brilliant. Um, Thank and you, job, guys. Great really technology. Good. I think that people should go to sonicdata.com and look at what you have to offer. Please. Yes, and um, you know have, there there are ways on the on our website there for you to try it out for yourself. You know the proof is in the pudding and. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're very happy for anybody to try the technology and have a listen and make up their own minds. And we're um, also very happy to give individual demonstrations uh, using our mobile apps as well. Well, great. Okay. Well, thanks well, for thank giving you. us your time, guys. It's really, we appreciate it. Very interesting contribution. Thank you. Thank you. Thank All you right. soon. Uh, thank you and see you soon. Thank thanks. you. Okay, bye.